Hello again. Welcome to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan, and today I am unfortunately not joined by my beautiful daughter, Bethany. She's uh, double booked, triple booked, and just unavailable for today's uh, taping. <laughs> you know, there's no tape involved, but we still use terms like videotaping and things like that. Anyway, she'd chuckle at me or make a face at me if she were here, but bottom line is, is I'm going to lead you through episode three of the Salvation of Doctor Who Bible Study by Matt Rawl. This is a book that you can buy, and it's available on Amazon. It's available in various Christian bookstore outlets, and I recommend it to you. The book itself is a good read in and of itself, especially if you're a fan of Doctor Who. And uh, the there's a study guide uh book that I'm recommending, and then there's a, a group leader's book that you can buy, but if you just follow along, all you need is the small group study that connects Christ and culture by Matt Rawl, The Salvation of Doctor Who. <clears throat> it's printed by Abington Press, so I would recommend that one to you <clears throat> as a way of, of just enjoying some interesting uh, observations about parallels with a popular science fiction show you might like and uh, the story of our walk with God as a people for these last several thousand years. And so, as we begin today, I'll just remind you this is episode three, and this is being recorded on January 24th, 2020. Um, let's just open with the prayer. I think that's always the smartest thing to do. Lord, thank you for what we've learned so far in this study and give us wisdom and humility as we examine the topics of evil, conflict, and forgiveness. Bless this time we have together so that we can learn from one another, from Scripture and from the Holy Spirit. Work within us that we might grow in spirit through our discussion and reflection. In Jesus' name, amen. If you wanted to lead this Bible study in your home or your church, you could get the leader's guide, and it'll even tell you words you can pray. Um, we were talking at the church recently about the discipleship pathway we have at Shiloh, and uh, I, as the pastor, set the bar high. And sometimes that's frightening for people because, um, it, you know, it's frightening for me too. They just don't know it a lot of times. But what we're saying in our discipleship pathway is, is that spiritual leaders within the church would be people who have attained a certain level of spiritual maturity that, that justifies their leadership. And it means that, uh, that not just anyone can serve in those roles. And uh, that's not because we're snobs. It's because we want to keep the main thing the main thing and drive the church's life toward fulfilling uh, its principal desire, which is that we would all be fully functioning disciples of Jesus Christ. And as his disciples, most of us are students in one way or another, and pretty much all of us are the followers of Christ. But there are those who will arise to a certain level that we would informally refer to as elders, just meaning that they are they are like uh, Jesus's apostles when they reach their old age and they're 
spiritual maturity. And uh, so with that in mind, uh, it calls into question in our discussions sometimes, well, well, then who's qualified to lead a Sunday school class, for example? Well, the answer is really simple. When you have really good material that's been written by elders, that is, those who are in a more uh, developed spiritual state, not, again, don't, don't overthink what I'm trying to say here, please. Um, I'm just saying that if there are people that you naturally look to as mentors in your spiritual journey, uh, a lot of times they're pastors and, and teachers and so forth, but they're people you look up to because they have demonstrated that they have a certain uh, uh, anointing from God and a particular uh, uh, quality of spiritual leadership that is validated through the fruits that the Spirit will bear. Then, you know, if that person wrote a book, about a Bible study that you could do and then gave you instructions on how to lead the class and pray the prayers and uh, guide the discussion in, in effect, then you could lead a Sunday school class without being the spiritual elder, but rather being a very discerning Christian who is willing to invite others to help them lead. So keep that in mind, because I hope that you will take advantage of studies like this one uh, in your personal activity. Before I get into the lesson, let me just say that we do this podcast <clears throat> each week. Um, I try to record them once a week, so I know you don't necessarily listen to them that way. But um, each time we do these podcasts, the idea is that you would be uh, able to keep your your spiritual juices flowing, you know, that you wouldn't become stagnant during the week and not think about the things of the Lord and not seek the Lord. And for that reason, uh, I want to urge you to not take this as your one thing that you think can, you know, constitutes as worship. It really isn't uh, uh, anything more than a supplement. Um if you were taking vitamin supplements, the understanding is, is that in addition to the vitamin supplements, you're eating good, healthy meals on a regular basis, and these pills are supplements. So this class is a supplement. This online thing is a supplement. I, I need to urge you to go to church to be fed real, wholesome, healthy food somewhere. You're always welcome at Shiloh, of course, and uh, I promise you that we serve up the finest we can generate for your spiritual health and well-being. So let's get into this week's lesson. The sonic screwdriver is mightier than the sword. You know, one of the coolest things about Doctor Who is he doesn't carry a big gun. Uh, he doesn't believe in guns. He doesn't believe in using um, offensive weapons against his enemies. Now, many times his actions will lead to the destruction of an enemy, but he orchestrates events where they always get a chance to walk away, and when they don't, then their own ambitions and their own uh, method of destruction turns on them. That That's kind of a classic Doctor Who arc. Got to take a sip of coffee there so my throat doesn't gurgle at you. And um, in a way, we can look at the story of Christianity and the people of God in the Old Testament and, and sense some truths along those lines. And we're going to delve into that right now. 
Doctor Who carries a sonic screwdriver, so rather than carrying a weapon, he carries a tool. And it's a tool that helps him solve problems and add knowledge and uh, understanding that information and knowledge are power. Um, his sonic screwdriver is his non-weapon of choice. So today's lesson is basically uh, a question of good guys and bad guys, who are good people and who are bad people, what constitutes good and bad. And I want to start by, by encouraging you to do this mental exercise wherever you are. And if you happen to be with someone else, well, you know, hit pause and discuss this. And um, if you would just consider for a minute who are some of the most famous rivalries you can think of. Uh, maybe they're sports rivalries, you know. Um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and so I'm a Steelers fan, and I know that the Steelers have some pretty uh, uh, strong rivalry uh, matches that come up every year with the uh, old Cleveland and Cincinnati and, and uh, Baltimore. These are, these are some teams that they're particularly... Uh, eager to win against and the fans have really embraced the, the the rivalries but what are some of the other rivalries you can think of you know pepsi and coke for example uh apple and and microsoft you know um what are some of the other ones you can think of um you know M mcdonald's and burger king you know um so think along those lines and, and uh, then look at some of the political rivalries that have, you know, Democrats and Republicans. I've never seen it worse in my lifetime than it is right now. And uh, I, with a broad brush, I could even say liberals and conservatives, and it's never been uglier than it is right now. And it's deeply impacting the life of the church, especially denominations like the United Methodist Church. And uh, what do you, you know, what do you see going on in those rivalries? Now, here's the question. When you think about these rivalries and maybe in your private discussion where, you know, if you hit pause a minute ago and talked with the person you're, you're with, maybe you guys were talking about something that's deeply personal to you and your family's life, uh, uh, you know, a, a college rivalries or something like that, Purdue versus Indiana, you know, that kind of thing. Um, what what are some of the things that that become pretty obvious when you talk about these rivalries that you have to acknowledge um you know are really just about feelings you know um how how much justification is there really for you know hating another team for example than the one you love you know, what do we really have against uh, Indiana if we're a Purdue fan? What do we really have against Purdue if we're an Indiana fan? Um, more of that stems from our feelings about the other and our traditions. And our traditions make us always just, well, I'll never root for them because I've been a tried and true. Well, maybe it's because you graduated from IU or maybe it's because you graduated from Purdue. Maybe it's because your family has just had a history of always supporting uh, a particular franchise and, and you know, you just, but, and, and you would say to yourself, well, that's all pretty good natured. I don't really care about it as much as it might seem. I'm not that invested in it. 
But for the sake of today's discussion, what is it you don't like? Um, there's a lot of uh, New England Patriots haters out there. Um, I may have jumped on that bandwagon once or twice myself, and of course I'm ashamed of it because from a Christian standpoint, it's pretty foolish. But uh, I know some of the arguments that people will say against New England. Number one, the fact that they have had such a successful franchise for the last decade or so, it's just kind of aggravating to all the other teams and all their fans to to constantly find themselves on the short end uh, of the stick when they're up against New England. And, and so naturally, when your team isn't winning because another team plays better, it it's not something you want to embrace easily. So there's there's sort of a, a one truth. But then I listen to people and I say, oh, no, 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 it's deeper than that. What I hate about New England is that, that their head coach cheats. And so they'll explain to you why they believe the head coach is a cheater. And that's why they're justified in hating that team. And they'll say, well, I don't like their, their uh, quarterback because he's this – you know, superstar jock with a with a, a fashion model wife, and he's all pro, you know proud of himself and everything. And he doesn't like for people to hit him, and and he thinks that in football somehow he's excluded from from the physical uh, abuses that are typical. And and you know, so I've heard all of this. I may have said one or two of those things myself, but at the end, what I've come to realize is that. It's all pretty silly and superficial when you get right down to it. Who, who really cares? Um, it's about, you know, it does mean a lot of money to certain people. And, and so I'm not discounting the fact that from a business standpoint, the NFL is uh, uh, moves billions of dollars. Uh, and these uh, owners and these, uh, these teams, I, I don't even want to get into it without, because I'll, I'll go off on a tangent um, as I am tending to do from time to time. So I would just say that, you know, if you take any professional football franchise and think about the number of people whose livelihood depends on the success of the team, if you think about that, well, sure, it's a serious business. And so it's important that they have rules and that they self-govern to prevent cheating and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, for the fan, one team being good or evil versus another is really kind of a ridiculous conversation to have. So it really does come down to a matter of taste and feelings. And one of the things that is part of this discussion of, of who's good and who's bad is that we have to separate feelings and facts. Um, most people, by default, will consider their feelings first. They'll visit the facts a little bit, and then they'll come back to their feelings, and they'll make the decisions based on a sandwich where the bread is feelings and the meat is facts. But a really wise way to make decisions about things, whether they're trivial or really significant, is to make the sandwich just the opposite, where the bread are the facts and the meat is the feelings, and therefore you have twice as much fact that you're using to process your experience and your decisions and just a little bit of your feelings, because feelings are important and they shouldn't be ignored, but we shouldn't be ruled by our feelings because that forces us to ignore facts that could cause us to make decisions that are really lousy. And this is important when we're talking about the difference between good and evil, in Doctor Who, he has a number of adversaries over the last 50 plus years, and uh, 
Some of them are pretty corny and ridiculous, and some of them are diabolical. And uh, the, the problem that most of them have is that they are convinced that they are right and Doctor Who is the enemy. And if you listen to the dialogue in a Doctor Who episode when he's dealing with his enemies, they, they almost all know who he is. They're not unfamiliar with him. And uh, his reputation over the 900 or more years of his life has preceded him everywhere, especially where the enemies are concerned. But his enemies have... Uh, they have to do one thing to become his enemies. There's just one thing they have to do that makes him uh, their enemy, and that is, is that they have to oppress other people, uh, other species, other sentient beings. You know, they have to oppress, and worse, sometimes they seek to harm those other people. So some of the aliens that he deals with um, are committed to the destruction of every life form that isn't like their own. That would be the Daleks, who were created by Davros. Um, then there would be uh, the Cybermen, for example, who aren't trying to destroy the other, uh, the other beings. They're trying to uh, create a super race by upgrading everybody. And so they seek to convert every living creature into a cyberman and therefore creating this this uh this sort of uh, homogenous super race of of uh cyborg type people you know and and uh doctor who always opposes them because it's a form of oppression and so doctor who is fundamentally opposed to oppression and of course to violence and and uh that kind of thing so so there's where you kind of get the idea, like what are the ground rules for what good and evil is in Doctor Who, and how does that compare to the Bible? What are the ground rules for what good and evil are in Scripture? So given that, think for a minute about some of the villains that you have witnessed over your lifetime, some of the classic villains of the of the movies and the TV shows that you watch, and uh, even the villains that appear in our newscasts, who are real life uh, criminal villains, you know what what constitutes good and evil in their case. Uh, if you're a Star Wars person, what makes Darth Vader a villain and not good, and what makes him evil? Uh, what makes the Emperor evil in the? Uh, uh, Star Wars saga, you know, what, why is it that he's considered so evil? You know, what, what is his pursuit that justifies, um, the, the good characters, the hero characters actions toward them? Think about that for a minute. Think about, you know, Superman versus Lex Luthor. Think about Batman versus the Joker. Um, think about, uh, uh, Democrats versus Republicans, liberals versus conservatives. Think about those things and ask yourself, what makes one seem evil and the other good? A lot of times it has everything to do with your perception of things. Um, if you're a conservative, then your perception of everything that a, a liberal does is um, that they're bent on the destruction of, of a moral society and uh, they're all about decadence and, and abuse. 
And so we... Okay, stopped to answer a phone call there and picked up the microphone again. So uh, train of thought got a little bit derailed, but only a little bit. And uh, so basically what uh, uh, what we're driving at here is just that, that our estimation of good and evil has an awful lot to do with our perception of things. If we think that someone is evil, we have to ask ourselves why. And this is where I think Christians have the equivalent of Doctor Who's sonic screwdriver, which is the Bible. Um, please don't, you know, take that too far or hear that out of context. I'm just saying if you're looking for a tool that gives you a way to, to unlock doors and to open uh, and repair misconceptions and, and, and uh, misunderstandings and, and a way to get informed in a, in a way that, that the power of knowledge becomes your tool. Well, your Bible is your sonic screwdriver. And so you got to read the Bible and you got to interpret what it says in terms of the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you. Now, by that, I mean that you can read the Bible without having been born again and filled with the Spirit. But, but when you're born again and filled with the Spirit, there's something about your reading and interpretation of Scripture that is enhanced in a miraculous and profound way. And so I urge you to... Take a moment, if you have not done so, and ask God if you have been born again, and ask God if you're ready for, for Him to take you to the next level to lead you into that process. And, and uh, um, you know, I not I don't I don't mean to sound like, uh, you know, some of the evangelicals you will hear. This is strictly what the Scripture says, and this is what my Wesleyan tradition informs me of, and this is uh, what my C.S. Lewis it tradition informs me is that once you become aware that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do about it and you earnestly repent before God for that, then you've basically said there's nothing more important to me anymore than being in the right relationship with God. And then when you make that decision, you ask God to forgive you and God does because God can. Because God can forgive you now, not because of anything you did, but because of what Jesus did for you. And so by way of Jesus, you have received God's forgiveness. And so you're all in now with God. You're part of God's family and you're beholden to Jesus for it. So your loyalty, your love, your devotion to Jesus become the primary thing. He's your king now. He's the leader of your life. That's why contemporary people uh, who say, you know, Jesus is my Savior and Lord. That's what they mean. He saved me because I couldn't save myself. And then he became my Lord or the leader of my life. He is my King. And so um, when that happens, you have begun a process that results in new birth. That is that the old self is dying now or has died and a new being is being recreated in you. And that spirit that we've been talking about, the Holy Spirit, is the person of the Trinity who works that change within you. Now, that's what we were talking about a minute ago when I said when you read Scripture, you can read it without the help of the Holy Spirit and benefit from it. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can definitely learn how to discern the difference between good and evil. And that's what we want to talk about here. Um, so, so, when we look, for example, at the um, 
story of the Daleks in the um, lost my page in the Doctor Who study guide here. When we look at the Daleks, for example, um, we see a uh, you know th these are some of the best known um, of, of the villains that that Doctor Who deals. With. These are the ones that look like salt shakers, you know, salt and pepper shakers that that roll around and they've got plungers sticking out of the top of their heads and they are always saying exterminate exterminate well that's the daleks and the daleks have just become convinced that they are the only race that should exist that everyone else should be exterminated and their goal is the wholesale destruction of virtually every being any every sentient being in the universe so that all only daleks exist And what's really funny is, is that the Daleks aren't the machines they drive around in. They're these little slug guys with, you know, uh, an eyeball and an attitude. And they live inside these um, giant salt shaker things that they made. So they're ruthless. They're cruel. They're determined to destroy anyone uh, who isn't. Well, they just destroy everyone. I mean, if you're not a Dalek, they destroy you. And the thing is, the Daleks are also pretty ridiculous with each other. And they have differing opinions among themselves of what it means to have total dominance of all of the sentient races. And, you know, some feel that they should destroy every creature that doesn't happen to be a Dalek. Or there are others who think that they should subjugate them. In the end, they're all bad, and Doctor Who doesn't have any trouble helping you understand that. So go to the Genesis story of the fall of man, uh, humanity, and basically what you see is a very basic definition of evil and, and who our enemy is. In the story of Adam and Eve falling from grace with God, they lived in the garden, they lived in God's grace, they walked with God. God in the cool of the evening. They talked with God face to face and um, they were pure. And then Satan somehow creeps in to the garden and begins to mislead them until they become convinced that God isn't as much for them as they once thought God was. They begin to think that maybe God is deceiving them or that God is mistreating them in some way. And then they're tempted to disobey God. And when they do, Satan has done what he set out to do, which is to turn them against God. And in effect, he's like a Dalek who's saying, well, more like a Cyberman in this case, I suppose, because he's basically saying, you need to upgrade and be like me. And you need to have your eyes opened and know everything about the world and good and evil and and uh, and basically Satan's goal is to eliminate all of the pure human creatures that God has made and either replace them with people under his dominion or destroy them. So he's sort of a cross between a Cyberman and a Dalek because Satan is in effect committed to you the destruction of the saints or the uh, deconversion of the saints, you know, the, the, uh, the, the downgrade would be a better way to put it, uh, not an upgrade. 
And so we don't have much trouble figuring out that Satan in Genesis is the enemy. And Satan is a complicated issue that we'll get into, I think, in another discussion. Because Satan is, is, uh, is our just kind of default language for the evil one. Um, and who the evil one is and the backstory of where the evil one comes from is something that we can talk about a little bit, not so much to try to develop that without better resources at hand, but to simply say that with the villains in the theater and the movies and so forth, there are always attempts to do their backstory and figure out what the heck caused this person to be so awful. Um, you know, many people... Uh, of my generation and before, you know, tried for for you know, like what in the world happened? Why would die, uh, why why would Adolf Hitler um, become so diabolically de de uh, devoted to the destruction of of the Jews and to the conversion of the entire world to his his uh, Nazi ideology? You know, why would these people called Nazis do such things? And, well, you know, the backstory might make you find some sympathy for a villain. Um, Davros, the creator of the Daleks, uh, he's uh, a recurring character in Doctor Who that uh, they fleshed out over the last uh, 10, 12 years. They, they've tried to show how he happened to become so devoted to his... Uh, hatred um for doctor who and and his and his evil genius is so twisted that he creates these things called daleks and uh he created the daleks to end a war and so in his mind he's doing a good thing he was trying to bring an end to a war and this was his method you know that uh, somehow might makes right and that was his his validation and so when we look at his backstory, we might feel a little bit of sympathy to him, toward him, but at the end, you still have to look at the outcomes. So you might say, well, you know, what happened in paradise? Well, let's say heaven before the creation, when somehow some of the angels of heaven rebelled against God. And what happens to this one bright morning star, this sun of light, this beautiful sort of supreme angel who was apparently God's uh, uh, chief angel and, uh, and, and most brilliant of the angels. How did this beautiful creature somehow descend to rebelling against God so that God had, in God's perfect wisdom, justification for casting this angel out of heaven and banning him to the earth and orchestrating a plan that will ultimately result in his permanent destruction. Um, you know, how, how did that happen? You can look at the backstory and you can try to figure out, you know, uh, and from a human perspective, you know, it, did God somehow cause Satan? You know, the, the reality is, is we don't know. We can't really honestly try to evaluate something from our limited human perspective that is on the scale of that particular story but what we believe in faith is that whatever happened god justly cast satan out and a third of heaven went with him 
And these are the forces, the powers, the principalities, the evil and the dark forces that still exist today uh, to bring about the destruction of God's people and the deconstruction of the people who have given themselves to God. And, you know, it's, it's never ending. It's never ending until the day that Christ returns and brings it to an end. There is a plan of culmination, and uh, it involves you. And so your, your responsibility is to resist Satan with all your might. And so with that being said, what we look at in Doctor Who is that there's a very clear line of, of, uh, of indication of, of what's good and what's evil when it comes to some of the villains. Um, we can be sympathetic towards their backstory, but at the end of the day, it's their now story that we have to deal with. And so you may be dealing with people who had a terrible childhood and as a result took on the habit of criminal behavior and uh, became uh, a danger to society. And you, you may be wondering, well, you know, if I know their backstory, shouldn't I give them a little grace? Shouldn't I give them a little uh, understanding? And, you know, you can, but you still have to deal with their violence. You still have to deal with their oppression. So at the end of the day, violent behavior has to be stopped and oppressive behavior has to be uh, undermined because there's the difference. The Bible makes it really clear to us that God hates oppression. And so when we see, for example, in the Exodus, how God is determined to bring the people out of the oppression of the Egyptians, it is because... God hates oppression, and oppression is the very core behavior that results from pride, which is the essence of sin. If you think you know better than God, if you think you are God, in one way or another, you will oppress others because you're just naturally presumptuous about yourself or your belief system or your ideology and so forth. And so... God hates oppression because oppression hurts the innocence and it also defeats, um, well, it doesn't defeat, but it attempts to defeat God's purpose in, in uh, all of creation. So uh, having this biblical background helps us to better interpret what uh, oppression or, or how oppression in, uh, and violence are strong indicators of what is really evil. And so a person may have been born innocent and then their backstory somehow has caused them to turn evil. But it is their present evil that we're talking about, not their past innocence turned evil through perhaps no fault of their own. And then there's just the reality of psychological disorders that cause people to do evil things and... Uh, you know, in the same way, we just have to look at the evil that they do and and recognize it. But the thing about their evil is, is, is it oppressing? Is it violent? If it is, then that's evil. Um, it gets hard when you try to imagine how God's going to judge these people if they have a psychological condition that's not their fault. Um, 
you know, then are they evil because of their deeds uh, or are they evil because of their mind? And I would presume that the best thing for any believer to do is believe that God is so perfectly just that God will sort all of that out adequately. But on earth, we have to bring an end to evil and oppression by being like Christ. And when evil was present, when demons were oppressing someone, God, through Christ Jesus, cast them out. And so we don't have to feel bad about, oh, uh, uh, you know, using Christ's name to cast evil away. And uh, it gets tricky. I'm not going to say that everything I'm telling you is the perfect black and white answer, but, but learn to recognize what evil is. And use the um, uh, use use the the popular media. You know, watch watch what the culture tries to tell you. Evil is, and good is, because sometimes it's pretty simple, and sometimes it's not so easy. And uh, you know, if Bethany were here, I'd probably start opining about how I dislike movies that are overtly violent, because sometimes they, you know, will do. The, the villains will do really horrible things because they want the movie makers want to make sure that you hate this person because the, the story plans to give this evil person a really awful end. And they want you to cheer when that person comes to their end. So they make sure that the person does really horrible, violent things. Well, isn't it interesting that for the sake of time in a two-hour movie, the directors, producers, and writers have developed a story where they're going to show this person doing unbelievably violent and oppressive things so that by the time you get to their destruction, you're rooting for that destruction. So how do you tell evil from good? Evil is violent and oppressive. And when you look at modern situations where, for example, Liberals and Democrats, or liberal, say liberals and Democrats and Republicans and conservatives are going at it. It's the extremists that concern me because the extremists are so convinced of their adversaries' evil that they're more than willing to do violent, oppressive things to somehow defeat their adversary. And I just look at evil in its basic definition then, and I think to myself, well, you know, if you're an extreme conservative, you're extreme liberal, you are violent and oppressive in your attempts to see your will fulfilled. And if it's about your will and your ideology, then it probably doesn't have much to do with God, whose will and ideology is the only one that matters. And so those of us who try not to reach the extremes and become become part of them, we're we're caught a lot of times between factions that are so entrenched in their beliefs and their commitment to the defeat of their enemies that they find us to be just uh, clutter in the middle of the battlefield that makes it harder for them to do what they want to do and. Uh, so when I look at the, the, the different entities that are seeking to divide a denomination like the United Methodist Church or the entities who are trying to divide 
our country, I look at the extremes who generally get all the attention. And what I see is evil. I see evil. And I'm not naming one side or the other. I'm saying oppressive, violent behavior. Now, you might say, well, there isn't that much physical violence. True, but violent language is violence, too. When, when you do not speak in a civil tone, in a civil way, making rational, logical arguments of opposition to another person's ideas, you are speaking violently. If you yell, if you call them names, if you, if you chant slogans that call for the assassination of a president you don't like, or you, you, uh, or you call people who don't agree with you haters, and 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 uh, when you don't even know them or do you don't even understand where they're coming from, you know this is violent behavior. That's plain and simple. It's violent. It hurts people, and it's meant to hurt people. And so, like the Daleks and the Cybermen, it is an attempt to eliminate your enemy or make your enemy conform. And this kind of violence deserves to be put down and thank god the lord jesus himself is going to do it and uh so the last thing i want to talk to you about is another enemy of doctor who that is pretty interesting now we talked about the weeping angels not long ago uh in when we were talking about the episode of uh, called blink but uh, i want to talk about another enemy who's called the silence and the silence saps your memory from you so that you forget who you are. And I would just like to say that this is one of the most important things that every believer has to do every day is to remember who you are. Don't forget to remember who you are. You are a child of God made so because of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus you are an eternal being saved by God's grace. You are known by name by Jesus. When Jesus was resurrected, the way that people knew who he was was by certain signs. One of those signs was simply the voice that they heard saying their name. Don't forget who you are. Remember who you are when you are tempted to take up the cause that appears to be violent and oppressive. Remember who you are when you are tempted to call someone names or to categorize the uh, opposition or the rival uh, without really knowing them. And, you know, be willing to be like Christ in that you would encounter someone where they are, offer them the bread of life, the waters that transform and if they accept then embrace them as a sister or brother and if they have not accepted that if they've rejected that they are not rejecting you they are rejecting christ and so you can dust the to shake the dust of their village off your feet and move on not because you have any condemnation toward them not because you wish any harm to them you would move on because you have offered them Christ and they have rejected Christ. Don't forget to remember who you are. 
Lord, thank you for this time we've had together to reflect on the presence of evil and the villains we encounter in our world. Bless us as we go from this time of study. Give us strength to respond to evil in our midst and by the power of your Holy Spirit to redeem and transform it. Give us the wisdom to see things from the perspective of our enemies and adversaries and to recognize situations where we might be the villains. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for listening today, and uh, we'll try to get Bethany back on board next time. And uh, I hope just the same you've been blessed. Please keep in mind that it means the world to us to hear from you. It means so much to know that you're out there and that you are being blessed. So drop us a note. Um, if you listen with iTunes, you can rate the podcast. And uh, you can give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, stars, all that jazz. And, and uh, you know, if you would, you can drop us a note just to say, here's where I'm listening from, because we find that all very interesting. If you're listening with podbean.com, which is the host that we use, then uh, you also have a place to leave comments and, and your rating of the, of the podcast. You can... Of course, reach out to us by email and call us on the phone or visit us at Shiloh. And the best way to do that, uh, to begin that process, is to go to to shilohum.org, S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M.org. And all the information you need is on our webpage. And if you would like, we have a really lovely Shiloh app. Just go to the Google Play Store or the uh, Apple app store and search for Shiloh of Jasper, Indiana, and you'll find our app. And on that app, you can listen to these podcasts, do daily devotions, read sermon notes and uh, study guides and learn anything you need to know about Shiloh. So thank you again for listening. God bless you and goodbye.